So I was reflecting on the story of Nehemiah uh, this week as I was preparing and considering that his story, I thought about a little bit of my own story I want to share with you. It was uh, take you all the way back to the year 2007. In the fall of 2007, it was about this time of the year uh, where I was speaking with some leaders at First Christian Church and just asking and thinking about, is this a mission that I would be a part of, a church that I would come and work for? I remember meeting with Scott and we dreamed, what would God do as we work together in Greene County? I, uh, we, our visions uh, got me excited and my heart was captured and I was ready to go. I was looking through those memories uh, this week and I found this photo I'd like to share of the church sign back in the, at the beginning of 2008 when this I took a picture of this because I was so proud um, I was so excited to have my name on a sign and I thought oh look it's so cool um, the reality is that uh, the Scott and the Tommy show was kind of it back then um, it was really just he and I and so just to show you what that show looked like I got a picture of that as well um, and so yeah, I mean, that's good. It's, good. it's good to laugh at Scott while he's not up here preaching, right? I'm just kidding. You're probably laughing at me. Um, but I, I tell you that story because as I was uh, thinking about what God has done over that time since the beginning of 2008 until now, uh, my story at First Christian Church is really one that's marked by student ministry. That's been where I've spent my years. Um, and I'll tell you, I came to do student ministry, and I would have said then, and I would say I had no desire to do anything other than student ministry. I think that working with teenagers is one of the best things that you could possibly do. I ask myself all the time, how do I get paid to have so much fun? With student, I mean, we did so many crazy, wild things. I uh, laughed so hard. It was such a great job to be with students. I've been leading students full time, and I think it's this wonderful mixture of very meaningful work and irrational fun. We get to do things that just don't make any sense, like jumping into pools full of jello or having huge wars with flour. Uh, we get to dress up. We get to uh, go riding and rafting down the rivers. All of these things was it was like a dream that this could be a job for me to do. And I loved it. Every moment of it is such a joy. I had no desire to do anything else. I felt like it was a sweet spot for me to be doing this. I remember just laughing. There's a photo in there of me laughing with Wes, who leads our students now. And, and that's a, that picture to me is an accurate description of how I feel about student ministry. You laugh until your face hurts because it's so much fun to be in ministry to students. I tell you all of that to say, if it's that great, why aren't you doing it anymore, Tommy? Well, it's because of that uh, that I, I really thought of this story as we were preparing through Nehemiah. Because if I could tell you everything that happened from 2008 until now, I could talk for, for hours and hours because God's done incredible things. But one thing that's true about my story is that God worked in me to do something unique in my life that I didn't expect or really uh, think that was going to happen. If you would have told me in 2008 that I'd be standing here on a stage in Afton, I would have had no clue of the concept of what you would be talking about. It's amazing to see what God's done in my life and in the life of our church. As we made this journey to a church in two locations, and it became apparent that God had been positioning me for something unique, um, I stepped into something that I never necessarily would have guessed, but something I'm so glad 
that I did. And so it occurred to me as I was looking at Nehemiah's story that his situation wasn't too unsimilar. And here's what I mean. Nehemiah had a pretty sweet job. If you were here the first couple weeks, you remember Scott telling us about his job was a cupbearer to the king. And really what that meant was that he had the opportunity to taste what was presented to the king. Translation, he got to eat and drink the best food in all the kingdom. That's a really sweet job. Not only that, he lived in the palace, which is the best place you could live. He had the greatest security with the palace guard. Why would somebody like Nehemiah, who's in such a sweet position, do anything else? Well, it's because God had a unique role for him to fill. God had a unique role for Nehemiah. In the first week of our series through, this, uh, through the book of Nehemiah, Scott talked about how, what that looked like for him. How does a guy in such a sweet role end up in a place where he's willing to do what God's called him to? Well, he prayed to God. Scott said that Nehemiah prayed and he prepared. And we've merged those words together at FCC to say we want to be people like Nehemiah who prepare, who pray and prepare together. And that was our message week one. And it was because of Nehemiah's focus. And I love the story of Nehemiah and how he's so faithful to what God wants for him. That it's being in his heart being uh, totally committed to God that allowed him to be drawn out of a place to such a unique opportunity to be a part of a mission that was so important that we're still talking about it today. And so, as he lived in such a sweet palace, such a sweet role, such an incredible place, you might think, man, he's like, he made it. He's made it. But what is it that pulled him out? Well, I think the same is true for us that it was for him. If you and I are willing, if we're willing to look, if we're willing to pay attention, if we're willing to seek after God, he's going to invite us into something that is incredible, nothing short of amazing. It's not always what we would expect. But if the God of the universe is going to invite us to participate in a mission, sign me up. I absolutely want to be a part of what he's doing. What about you? What about you? If we were to do like a real quick pulse check this morning on your desire to be a part of what God's doing, what would that look like? I'll tell you what it is for me, because if I'm honest, I'll confess to you right off. Often, I'm more concerned with what I want to be doing than what God is doing. Far too often, and I'd pray for forgiveness of this, I'm so occupied with my own stuff instead of God's stuff. I have this agenda that I'm so convinced is something important to do, and then I I pray, God, would you bless my agenda as if I'm seeking some supernatural approval for God of my own plans. I do that far too often instead of looking first to what God wants to do. I don't know if I'm alone in the room and feeling that way or if you can relate, but my hunch is that a lot of times we become so preoccupied with our personal agenda and we need to recognize that God is bigger than our personal agenda. Giving your life to such a small mission as your own is not worthwhile. Lord, forgive us. For, for we do this too often. The reality and the truth is you are called to so much more. So much more than this. And sometimes we need a wake-up call. 
Sometimes we need to be shaken out of our palace mindset so that we can set our feet to the road to begin a project to build something that God is doing. And this is where we find ourselves in Nehemiah, and this is where we are as we jump into the story here in the second chapter. Nehemiah's story is incredible. It is, if you missed last week, then Scott was walking us through chapter two about how, how does a guy in the palace end up on the road for a project to build the walls around Jerusalem? He goes before the king, and because he's been praying, because he's been preparing, he was ready for that moment. And in a conversation that was intimidating, to say the least, he walks out of there uh, with the, not only the permission, but the funding to do this. He walks out with the funding of all the supplies he needs, along with this military escort to head to Jerusalem. I'll tell you what, if that's me, and I'm walking out and headed to Jerusalem, and I'm riding up to Jerusalem that way, and this place that's filled with people who've not really done anything about the wall so far, I'll tell you what I'm doing, because I know myself. I'm on my high horse, riding up to Jerusalem, waving those papers from King Artaxerxes and saying, looky here, you lazy losers, look what I've got. You've not been building this wall, but I've got permission, and check out all the dudes with me. We've got lumber, we've got people on horses, look at those big, strong military guys. Get to work. That's me, because I'm a mess. Like, I, you're totally, ju- I am, I'm a mess. You can judge my heart, it's ugly. Here's the thing, I know my heart is full of pride. And so that's why I'm so thankful that Nehemiah has a story that is not like the ugly heart that I often have. It's really cool, in fact, what he does. He rides into town, and then it says in verse 11, uh, it says, so I went to Jerusalem, I was there for three days. In verse 16, says all the officials, all the people there, they didn't know what I was doing or where I had gone. I didn't tell them yet. I hadn't told the priests or the nobles or the officials or all the rest. Here's, here's what he did. He rides in with this huge escort and then doesn't tell anybody what he's doing for three days. Can you imagine what that's like? I was thinking it might be similar if I walked in and and I had like a hundred Papa John's pizzas with me on a cart behind and everybody's thinking pizza party after church today. Like you know something's going on, but I'm not telling you yet. But like you, you can imagine, you don't just walk into Jerusalem without causing this incredible uh, sense of attraction. So after three days, can you imagine how eager they must have been to hear what he had to say? And so then Nehemiah addresses the people. He, he doesn't just rush in and say, here's what, here's what I'm doing, here's, what, here's what's happening. He finally says, and the people most certainly want to hear why he's come. And what he delivers in verse 17 is quite a punch, quite a rocket of a statement. Let's look again at verse 17. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. They knew the condition of the walls of the city they lived in. In fact, some of these people have lived there their whole lives. They were fully aware that the walls were in ruin. They passed in and out of these gates every day. They didn't need him to tell them the gates were burned. They knew this. How would you feel if somebody walked into your home? If you had a guest who walked into your home and they immediately started pointing out 
all of the things in your house that were broken and needed repair. And they started to address all those things. I, I imagine you might feel offended, to say the least. You, you would start to feel hurt. You would start to be offended. Um, but chances are that after your guest left, you would start to get to work on fixing some of the things they had pointed out. Not because you didn't know it. This is your home. You knew that better than anybody. But because you saw it through the eyes of somebody else. And it was a wake-up call. These people who've been living in Jerusalem, they were fully aware that the walls were torn down and the gates had been burned. But they had stopped being concerned about it. They had learned to live with it. They had learned to be okay with what was going on. The danger that it presented, the inconvenience that it created, just became a part of their lifestyle. It had been 150 years since those walls had been destroyed. Generations had passed. And in that time, they had lost sight of who they were, what they should be, and who God was trying to create them to be as a nation. They had forgotten that and they needed a wake-up call. And so Nehemiah steps in and in essence he's saying, wake up! We're an embarrassment. Open your eyes. This had to sting. Even in, in, the, in the verse he includes himself, he says that we may no longer be made fun of, be mocked. But any way you cut it, that's a strong statement. Somehow, these people had lost their purpose and they had grown accustomed to an environment that was not okay. Have you ever found yourself in a similar place? Have you ever found yourself in a place where you become okay with something, but it's not really okay? I know for me, it's far too easy for me to be apathetic about things in my life that are not okay, that are unhealthy, that are unacceptable. I have, a, I have a testimony of what God has done in my life through a program we do on Monday nights called Regeneration. And in that testimony from Monday night, Regeneration is a story of me realizing that on my own, I cannot identify and, and come out of these places that are unhealthy. I need the community of godly people speaking into my life. It's my story. I wonder if it's your story. It's these people's story here. It is, they had turned their eyes away from who God was calling them to be. You see, Israel was not called to just be another nation, just an average group of people. They had been commissioned by God to be a light to the world. They had been uh, the nation, the people group that God had desired to show his power and his glory and his grace to all the world. But you never would have guessed it looking at Jerusalem in Nehemiah's day. They needed this call. These were words that were ordained by God. And so when we see the response of the people in verse 18, it is undoubtedly because this is God's purpose for them. Verse 18, Nehemiah says, And I told them the hand of my God had been upon me for good, and all, also all the words the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. Nehemiah's story, his pointing at the walls, that's, that's not really what convinced them it was time to move. It was the news that God had been at work. Did you catch that? It was the news that God had been at work on their behalf. This was a group of people that thought God had forgotten about them. 
They wondered if God was ever going to show up again. And so when Nehemiah says, God has been at work, God has been working behind the scenes, it awakened a faith in them that had fallen asleep. And it set them into action. It strengthened their hearts, and they were eager to put their hands to work. You see, just focusing on the broken down walls was not indication that the time was right to rebuild. Nehemiah's focus was on God's timing and what God had been doing. The condition of the walls alone was not the reason to begin rebuilding now. It was the fact that God had been working and preparing the way to make the timing perfect. And this is emphasized again in verse 19, where we're reintroduced to Samballot and Tobiah, and the response that Nehemiah gives in verse 20. He points towards what God is doing. He says, then I reply to them, because they criticized him. Then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper, and we, his servants, will arise and build. I was thinking about his response and how he pointed to God, and I've already confessed to you that I'm pretty much a wreck. Um, the, the ugliness of my heart, this would be a place where I would probably turn to those military escort, you know, the beefy dudes that were there on horses, and I'd say, will you flex your muscles at Samballot? Because I'm not liking the criticism. Right? I'd have pulled out those papers and I'd say, the king has given me permission. But that's not what Nehemiah does. He points at God's timing. And it's so important because it's a reminder that Nehemiah has, has always founded upon the reality that this is a spiritual mission. What's going on is not just about physical brick and mortar. It's about what God is doing spiritually in the time of these people. It is something that God wants to do. It's not just about the physical task. And we should remember this because there are going to be times that the physical task of God's work for us feels burdensome and heavy and hard. And if we forget that it's a spiritual thing, then we might find ourselves discouraged. Nehemiah's vision wasn't so much about building an actual wall as much as it was reestablishing a context, upon a, a place where God's power could be demonstrated and his promise could be fulfilled to the nation, where God-focused relationships could flourish. And so in chapter 3, we find this story being detailed. The work is detailed out. We're not going to read through every verse of chapter 3. We'll just glance through it, and I'll throw up an image on the screen for you that summarizes chapter 3, and so you can daydream and gaze at that image as we blast through some of the details here in chapter 3. It's really a stop in the narrative. Verse chapter 2 is, is a narrative, and then chapter 3 feels like just this break, and it's all these details, and then that's resumed in chapter 4 where the narrative, the story is told. Most commentators and scholars really believe that chapter 3 was inserted in as sort of a demonstration of all the work that was done that Nehemiah may have grabbed from some archival data that he had at hand. Not to say that he wasn't the one who wrote it in the first place, but just to say maybe it was in like a log book of all the work that was done. And when he says, this is what God did, he pulls that all in and kind of sets it in at, at, at chapter 3. And so all that's happening there, but it's not designed to be this, um, this exhaustive list of all the work that was done. It's not really what's going on. It really is there to highlight that this is a team project. It's there to highlight that there's unity in the mission. It's there to show that there's strategy and delegation. And so as you read through this list of names and all the things that were done, Nehemiah talks about 10 different gates that were repaired and four defensive towers. 
They begin the work at the Sheep Gate, which is on the north side of the city, and then work counterclockwise around. 38 individual workers are named in this chapter, and 42 different groups identified. Not everyone was named by name, but whether they were anonymous or whether they were named, the idea is that they were important, and they had a place, and they had a task assigned to them. All classes of people people who were priests and Levites and gateskeepers and laity, the people who were the, 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 the Levites and the priests, they worked near the temple precinct. Those who were merchants worked near the merchant center of town. The people who had houses along the wall worked on that section. The idea that we need to notice is this phrase that you find throughout the chapter, which is next to him and next to them and next to them. There are people working side by side to complete a task simultaneously together. This is unique and special because in the Old Testament, when God commissions work, most often the holy, the priests, the Levites are the ones who do that work. But here what we find is that everyone is coming together to do the work. All people from all walks of life. It's an incredible picture, not only uh, of unity, but of what God has envisioned for us to do. But it's not exhaustive. Verse 11 can teach us that. It talks about um, how uh, Malkia is somebody who repaired a section of, of the wall, but it says he also did another section, but then it doesn't tell us what that is. And so we know this is not the whole story. It's just part of the story. You'll see the same thing happen in verse 19, verse 20, verse 30. The conclusion that can be drawn is this wasn't everything that was done, but it was representative of the work that had been completed. And so what we need to know from that, why I point that out, is that if we go to this chapter and say, wow, I can get every detail I need to about the wall and the topography of the, of the area, we would be approaching it with the wrong idea. This is, not, this is something we do a lot. Now, let's take just five seconds to tell you about this. When we approach scripture, expecting it to give us topography, geography, scientific data, and that's not its purpose, then we do incorrectly. We do wrongly of the word because it's not its purpose. We can learn a lot from it. In fact, you learn more chapter three about the topography of Jerusalem than anywhere else, but that's not its main purpose. So here's why we, in summary of chapter three, this story, as I was reading through that, it makes it sound a little bit like, did the people not have anything else to do that they're just like whistling around, hands in their pockets, and then Nehemiah shows up and they're like, time to work. It sounds almost too good to be true, but that's not actually true. They were an agricultural society, and they weren't going to eat if they weren't going to work. They were up to their ears in work. For them to take time away from doing all the daily work was a risk. For them to take time away from this was not only a risk of not eating, but of, of their farms and their families getting attacked from outsiders. For them to spend 52 days doing this work project was a sacrifice. It's worth saying that because when I read this, and maybe you do, you look at that and you think, oh, that's nice, all chapter 3, nice one little section. It's amazing, they must have everything they need. Don't assume that they had something that you don't. Don't assume that they had anything that we don't have. This is not a, if I had more time, if I just had fill in the blank. These people didn't have anything different except obedience. You, you're not lacking anything. 
You have, you're not lacking anything except for obedience to engage in the mission that God has for you. And God has plans for you. God has plans for us. We unify around a mission as a church together to help people find and follow Jesus. And we're going to do anything we can to reach them and to be present where God is working. Half of you are listening from a video feed across town. The fact that I'm standing here in Afton on a stage is evidence that we are willing to risk, to go, to be present, to share this good news about Jesus. We want to be all about what God is doing in Greene County. Being in the same location, in the same room, that's not what unifies us. We are unified because we are on the same mission. We are about the same goal. We are, we are unified by our mission. There's a difference between unity and uniformity. And the text today is a beautiful picture of unity, but it is anything but uniformity. God's vision for the church is the same way. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it talks about how the church is designed to be a place full of all kinds of gifts and all kinds of people. And all of those contributions build up the church for the common good so that the mission will make its way forward. And if that doesn't happen across all types of people, there will be gaps in the wall. So the question for you to consider today is will you join us? Will you join us in this work Will you serve on the team? You have gifts and abilities and you have relationships that are just waiting to be used on behalf of the mission. I came across a very convicting quote in study for the message this week. I'd like to share it with you. It's from an evangelist, D.L. Moody. He says, A great many people have a false idea about the church. They have an idea that the church is a place to rest, to get a nicely cushioned seat, maybe contribute to the charities, listen to the minister, do their share to keep the church out of bankruptcy. That's all they want. The idea of work for them, actual work in the church, never enters their minds. Friends, God's mission is not for us to be spectators. It is not for us to sit on the sideline, arms crossed, and say, I'm not so sure about that, but work harder. It's not for us to hire a staff and sit back and watch them work. God's mission for us is to be builders together. God's mission is for us to build a wall, a wall that will, that will allow God-flourishing relationships to take place. Your mission, your idea of what things might be is not big enough to give your life to, but God's mission is. We are kingdom workers in Greene County, not because we came up with that idea, but because God ordained it. God is going to reach people in this county for his glory and his sake. And I think that's a vision that has captured my heart in such a way and our church's heart in such a way that we're going to do anything we can to help people find and follow Jesus. As we do this work, we're going to build together environments where God-focused relationships can flourish. That's what we built years ago when the bricks were laid at the Greenville campus. That's what's built every week there as those carpets are vacuumed in preparation for guests' arrival. That's what we build in this space when we rise before the sun to start setting up. Uh, This this is school, sure, but we're setting up an environment where God-focused relationships can happen. This is what we do when we invite friends to sit across the table from us at Catalyst Coffee Shop downtown and to have a a conversation about faith. If you could count 
How many conversations have taken place across those tables there? It would be uh, unreal. That's why we care about that space. This is what we build when we prepare our homes for small groups to meet. This is what we build together when we serve our community. We are building a foundation upon which trust can step in and we can introduce our friends to Jesus. FCC, this is what we build together. This is the work we do. This is the walls around our city. This is what God has ordained for us to do. He's going to reach the people in our community whether we're in or not. I want to be a part of it. He's going to fill each seat once again in the Greenville campus. He's going to fill every seat in this auditorium. He is going to fill our conversations with good news about Jesus. He is going to draw people in this county to himself. And I want to be a part of that. Because that's a mission that is worth giving my life to. Will you join me? God, would you help us to step up where our courage is lacking? Give strength to our hands when it feels like it's a burden. Forgive the pride of our hearts when we make it about ourselves. Because we have a mission that you have given to us that is so important. And we want to be a part of it. Not because we're building a tower unto ourselves, but God, because you are building walls that will allow us to create relationships that point towards the good news of life in Jesus Christ. So God, equip us for that purpose, we pray. Amen.